85% of adults say they regularly experience stress with half recognising that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental well-being and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety. He had some developmental delays and, you know, they're still we're still figuring some things out around that, but um, it's incredibly hard. I think it's hard for any parent not to worry about their child's future, but we kind of, I find it very hard not to worry a lot more about his future in terms of what's that going to look like if he's, um, you know, got with having special needs, is he going to, what's, is he going to live independently? Is he going to, you know, get married one day or, you know, that sort of thing? Is he going to always struggle at school? Is he going to always be the odd one out? Because um, a lot of his young life, he's always been um, just the different one. Um, which, you know, when it's, it's, you kind of just want to fit in, don't you? And <laughs> so it's hard not to sometimes, sometimes, you know, just look at that situation and just feel incredibly anxious. Good to see you. If you're new here, uh, I'm Joel. And we're just finishing a, a series of talks we've been doing over this autumn on your mind where we've talked about anxiety uh, in its different, its different kind of manifestations. Today's the, the one where we look at anxiety uh, and the family. Uh, the family is a context for anxiety in different ways, uh, to different degrees, for all of us. Um, perhaps we don't realise that, but in reality a lot of our anxiety does tend to uh, be associated in some way uh, with our family situation. And so I want to talk about that uh, in our time today by looking actually at the first uh, a couple of pages of the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, so nice and easy to find. If you've got your Bible with you, we'll be in Genesis chapter 2, just the last paragraph of, of that chapter. Uh, before we get into that, uh, having said that, is, I'd like to uh, share a couple of bits of news with you. Um, the first of them is I get to share the baby news this week, which is nice for me. I don't normally get to do baby news. Uh, you might have noticed that Matt and Catherine Carvel are not here, if you're an Emanuela. Uh, they are ordinarily here on a Sunday. They're not here because on Monday, in fact, let's get these facts correct here, make sure I get them right, that 4.24 a.m. on Monday the 18th, Noah Jesse Graham uh, Carvel was born. Seven pounds, 15 ounces. So there you go. Uh, we congratulate them, and I'm sure if you're friends cl or close to them, you'll be uh, reaching out and encouraging them. Um, I hope they have a really good time of rest uh, during the arrival of this little one. Um, another bit of news for you. Uh, as you will know if you're part of Emmanuel, a big part of our story and our calling as a church is the... Uh, starting and establishing of new churches. And we've been doing that in some way or other since the very beginning of this church when, when I planted it, age four. Um, now, when we, we began, we started starting churches uh, pretty early on. And we've been doing that in a, in a very concerted way in recent years. We've started churches in, uh, in several key cities. Um, we talk a lot here about the, the small kind of family of churches that we've uh, we've. We've been planting and serving in Berlin, in Amsterdam, in Ottawa, Canada, um, and coming soon uh, in Krakow in Poland and in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Those are the two that are kind of in the shoot at the moment. And we are uh, so grateful for the privilege and the adventure of it and sensing that, that God is 
with us in it. We're doing it out of a sense of obedience to his, his guidance. You might have questions about what that means. You know, how, how, can, how can God guide you to do stuff as a church? And that's a whole story in itself, which we'd love to, love to tell you about. But uh, a big part of it now, a new thing that uh, uh, is a development for us, is, is a church that we've begun to serve and help uh, which we didn't start, which has its own fam- uh, sort of its own story, and uh, we've we've uh, effectively it's been more like an adoption for us. And I've talked about this with you uh, a few times before. A uh, church in London, uh, in Greenwich and Newcross, to be precise. It's a multi-site church, so two venues. And we've been uh, friends with the people who lead this church for many years, personal friends of mine for years and years, going back a long way. Um, but in more recent years, we've much more formalized the relationship. As these, these guys at Emmanuel Church, as it's called, which is a coincidence, um, they, they've said to us, we really want to join you guys. We want to be part of the, the mission you are on as a team of churches. We love what you're doing. We love this initiative to plant churches in these key cities. And we, we're, we're in. We, we want to we be part of it with you. And we've taken that very seriously and uh, sort of brought them into our, our wider uh, collective, if you like, as a, as a group of churches. And we've wanted to do it well. We've wanted to serve them really well. We know it's different when it's a church with its own story. We, we don't want to be lazy about it and clumsy. We want to serve them well, help them to be really established, help them to really be cohesive and joined in a meaningful way to us and what we're doing. And uh, we've thought for a long time, how can we best do that? Now, it turns out that London in itself has been a bit of a focus of our praying for a time. Uh, with church plants in many other cities, including capital cities, we wondered, will God call us to plant something in London at some stage? And prayed hard about one or two uh, venues even. Uh, one of them seemed to potentially open up in the centre of London for a while. And we, we, felt, we felt it was right to pray about it, but it didn't open up. All that time, even Kate and myself were praying about whether we might one day even be called uh, to, to move up to London and plant there. Uh, God hasn't done that, so we're staying put. We're very committed to Brighton. Um, but nevertheless, to serve this church in London at this stage well and to help establish a base, which I believe is appropriate for us as a group of churches, we, wanna, we want to be able to establish a, a good base in London, uh, I want to commit a bit more of my time in 2020 to serving them well. And uh, with that in mind, I've set in my diary a few more Sundays with them um, during the spring term. So from Christmas to Easter particularly, I'll be up there uh, about two Sundays a month. And uh, that's with a view to helping them, especially through a time of change and transition, joining us, helping to establish their connection with us, helping to establish foundations and really getting into the heart of that church uh, so that we can serve it properly and learn even how to adopt a church well. Um, and, and so that's, that's the kind of uh, uh, basic kind of headlines I wanted you to be aware of. For, I guess, two reasons, partly to explain why in the spring term um, I'll be away uh, again, some of the Sundays, you would have noticed I've been away a little bit this term even, uh, that will carry on a bit into the spring term at least. Um, just so that you're aware of that, uh, I'm encouraged about it. Uh, to my slight dismay, I find out that when I go, the church is fine. 
I come back and there's, you know, everyone's happy and the church is growing and everything's brilliant, uh, which is really annoying. Um, and uh, so it makes me feel like pretty safe. And there's uh, people and leaders and preachers coming through helping to shape this, this scene here so well. I'm not going anywhere long term. I feel very committed to here. I feel God's spoken again and again and about that. And I feel called to keep leading here. And so I want you to hear that as well. But the, the second reason is just so that you can keep praying. If you are in Emmanuel, you're part of this. You might think, well, what, this is all about you going off to other places. It's, you know, I'm here in Brighton. Yes, you are. We're called to Brighton, for sure. We're not going to drop that. This is, our, this is our city. This is our calling. This is our mission field for our lifetimes. But Jesus talked to his disciples about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. When you follow Jesus, you find that he tends to lift your head to the local and the global. He, he does both. And so being part of a, a church family will often involve that that sort of double focus, that we focus locally and we're part of something wider. If you're part of this church, you are part of something wider. And I want that to be something that stirs you and encourages you in your praying, in your giving, in your serving, that you feel, I'm not just part of something in one place, I'm part of something wider. And it may even be that for many of us, our gifts and calling will will particularly flow with that in the future in ways that God might open up. I just wanted to mention that to you, keep you guys informed, and I hope more and more motivated about the, the breadth of the mission that we're called to as a church. Okay, let's get into this theme of uh, family, which is a context for, for anxiety in various ways uh, for many of us. Just the anxiety of starting a family, of, of getting together with someone to start a family, or getting married. That's a, in itself a prospect which causes people nervousness. Many people these days are worried about the commitment, worried about the, the potential uh, risk of it. Would I be able to do it? Could I, could I handle that? And then marriage itself can create anxieties and stresses of various kinds. Having children, the prospect of having kids. Can I raise a child? Would, would I be able to do it? What, what if the child encounters difficulty in this life? Could, could I bring the support and the encouragement? What would it do to me to watch a child go through pain and, and uh, difficulty in, in this difficult age in which we're living? What kind of a world would I be bringing a child into? What if, as will inevitably happen in some way, I, I encounter conflict with my kids? How am I going to rest and relax if I'm you know, out of sorts with my kids from time to time? It's painful to have conflict with anyone, but with people who are so close and so intimate with you, wow, that feels especially painful. And there's a lot of anxiety that's created out of that. Just the prospect of it can trouble us. And then the, the trouble uh, on the other end, children themselves. How do, how do children relate to parents at a stage as, as they're growing up, a stage of learning to be independent, making their own decisions, uh, and actually needing space and needing to, to even occasionally disagree? And how do we do that well? Sometimes it, it's kind of augmented by other unexpected pressures, maybe a bereavement in the family or, or divorce, you know, some kind of separation, which means that everything is changed. Togetherness is not what it was. Christmas is not what it was. That can sound trivial, but it's not trivial. It's actually emotionally draining. Christmas can be a pretty heavy prospect for people as they think about, how do we do it now? How do we do family now, now that everything's changed? Now there's someone missing, or we're not together. Or there's someone new. 
there's step-members of the family. There's step-parents, step-brothers and sisters. That might sound very simple and straightforward. It isn't. For many people, it's really complicated. In fact, for many people, it's really painful because it can be done badly and insensitively and children can really suffer and be misunderstood and kind of forgotten in the process of change. So these are some of the many anxieties that face us in the context of family life. And then there's ageing parents, a whole other area of life which, which people will face. I wasn't ready for this, this the, the emotional pressure. I wasn't prepared for, how am I going to look after my parents? It's, it's, not the kind of, it's always been one-way traffic, and now I'm, I've got to learn to be prepared to really serve and support as they get into this late stage of life. I'm just scratching the surface. Some of you could think of many other very real examples of family-based anxiety. And the questions could lead us to the bigger question, what, what good is it anyway? You know, is family just something we should do away with? Who needs it? It just sounds like a source of trouble. Is family a good thing or is family a bad thing? I think increasingly in our very secular society, some would answer it's a bad thing. Some would even suggest that it's, it's not the, the, kind of the, the, the primal institution of society that we should build around. We, we need something else. We need an alternative to family and these traditional family values. They're no good anymore. We don't, let's do away with them. And, and I suppose, at least at moments, some of us might sympathise because we feel the pain of family and think, how can it be a good thing when it feels like such a bad thing? And the straight answer is that it's a fallen thing. It's a good thing that's been distorted. It's a good thing in its intention. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The family was planned and designed wonderfully. And yet it is full. And like all human experience, it's been affected by our human decision to depart from God and his design. So our decision to, to challenge and effectively replace God as center of the universe to set ourselves up as God, has massive ripple effects across every part of human experience, including the family. So from, from the, the first stage of the fall of humanity, described in Genesis chapter 3, you get family division immediately. Family division. At marriage first, and then amongst kids. The first sons, who, who you know, one rises up and kills the other. And then the Bible is constantly, honestly, pre presenting us with the, the horror of family life wrecked by evil, wrecked by human wickedness, wrecked by our sin, as the Bible calls it. So family life has fallen a long way, but that doesn't make it evil in itself. Family is still a wonderful ideal. It's still a noble thing in the Bible, but a damaged thing. A damaged thing. And this perhaps should give us hope because there's someone who's come to restore damaged things. There's someone who's come to reconcile things, to bring healing and hope. And so actually this is a subject today which is mixed with a lot of hope. And maybe today's message will help some of us to find renewed hope, even at this stage in our lives and even at this stage of the year as we draw to Christmas and the new year. So I want us to look at this passage uh, in Genesis just briefly. It's going to come up on the screen, verses 18 to 25 of Genesis chapter 2. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's just pray together briefly. Father, we thank you for these words of scripture. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit given right now to lead us into truth, to reveal your ways, to show us your glory. And we pray that we would see something of your glory, the glory of your son, Jesus, through what we see in these words of scripture and how they apply to family life for us today. Help us, help us to be changed inwardly uh, so that we can serve you well in our family context, in Jesus' name. Let me just pray for yourself again briefly. Just say in your heart, Lord, please, please speak to me right now. Amen. Okay, I want to try and do three things very simply in, in the time we have. The first thing, to recover the vision for family. And then secondly... I want us to uh, remember the goal, the, the, the specific target of family life. How can we, I guess, measure the success of family life in a sense? And then thirdly, uh, I want us to understand the, the, the taproot. Where, where, is the, where are the resources? Where, where is the strength and the energy going to come from if we are to find hope and overcome anxiety? In family life. So that's the, the, the basic root plan today. Let's look at the vision. How can we recover a vision for family? Because this book is giving us in these mysterious words. I recognize, folks, those words that came up on the screen. Some of them you think, well, how are you going to talk about that? You know, that's confusing. That's, what's that? What's the relevance? You know, they, they were naked and unashamed. What's the plan from today's message? Please explain. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> and not much. I'm not going to fully try and explain the whole passage. I'm just trying to draw out a few ways it particularly refers to these issues of, of uh, family. But the, the, a key part of it is that it stirs up, raises up, it, it puts before us a big positive vision of family life. It shows God instituting family from the beginning. It shows God doing it, God planning it, God making it, God liking it. And that's really important because you won't actually get that worldview elsewhere, especially in our day. 21st century Brightonians are not, and we are not swimming in waters of pro family enthusiasm. 
generally speaking. That's not the air we breathe. The culture we're in will tend to find ways, subtle and unsubtle, of breaking down our hopes for family, our confidence in family. In fact, we'll tend to see it as more or less an accident. You know, just, it's just random chance working through biology. Family happens because, well, it's, it's got to happen. You know, you've got you've to live somewhere. You've got you've to you be procreated somehow. You've got to have some people look after you in some way, you know, make sure that you get fed and watered and you get your nappy changed. And otherwise, you know, what else could we, how else could we, we've got to have it. It's, it's a kind of a necessary evil, I suppose. It's, it's just by chance that we have it, not how the Bible shows it. The Bible doesn't show it as an accident, rather a, a, a fully intended wonder, a beauty, a joy. It's even poetry that the man sort of falls into as he starts describing the wonder of this first marriage. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was taken from me. We're one together. I'm, I'm completed by this person, this intimate union that marriage represents and what marriage goes on to create with children is, a, is worth singing poems about, according to the Bible. Right at the start of human experience is the celebration of family. Not the denigration and not even the kind of marginalization. No, no, it's central to how God wants things. In fact, did you notice the very way that this story is introduced with God saying, it is not good for a man to be alone. Now, we, we came in on the story late, but if you were reading the first chapter of Genesis, if you've been reading the story up till that verse, you'll, you'll notice the jarring note there. Because up till there, everything God has been saying is, it's good. It's good. It's good. He keeps saying it's good about everything. Every part of creation. Let there be these, let there be that, let there be those things, let there be these, this stuff. Each time, it's good. I like it. It's good. It's good. Keep saying it's good. And then into the, the pages of the Bible come these, these kind of clumsy, ugly words, not good. God says something not Something is not good. Even this is before the fall, before sin comes into the world, there's something incomplete, it would seem. And that is isolated humanity. Humanity outside of a context of family life is, from God's point of view, I want you to, I want you to join, I want you to be intimate, I want you to be together. I want, I want this for you. And I wish I could go into why. Why is this so much in God's mind for us? And there's hints at it in the, in the first chapter where we, we realise that we've been created in the image of God. Therefore, we're made to be in so many key ways like him. You are like God in lots of very important ways. One of them is the fact that God is plural. God is community. God is Father, Son and Spirit. So if you're made in his image, you'll share that with him. You'll do life with, you'll do life alongside, you'll do life in union and communion and connection. That's how it's going to be for image bearers of God. So this, this helps us, I think, to recover a big vision. And we need that badly. We don't have a vision in our culture that inspires people to sacrifice for family. If, if the only thing we fed on for, for, for a vision for family life is Homer Simpson, 
then, then we, we won't be inspired. Not quite. I mean, you know, Simpsons is one of my favourite things, and in some ways it kind of does present almost a positive view of family, I have to say, in some quite amazing ways. But generally speaking, from the culture, from the media, so from the stories we get, you know, modern family, some of them are, I'm, I'm a bit out of date on Netflix, I, you know, Arrested Development is, is kind of, I'm usually about five years behind, I'm sorry, I'm a pastor, I read books. So, so uh, uh, the, the, these kind of cultural kind of pieces, what they present us with is a view of family that's a little bit, something to apologise for. It re- it's really worth us bearing this in mind, friends, because you could get sucked into that, not realise this is happening to you, not realise, no, the Bible calls us to something wonderful. Bible presents us with something to go for, to achieve, to be ambitious with family. And you might think, this isn't helping me with my anxiety. (laughs) This is just making me feel more pressure. But I kind of want to do that for a moment. Because perhaps one of the reasons we have anxiety about family is because we come into it with a consumer mentality. It's It's not serving me. It's not meeting my needs. And it won't. You shouldn't be surprised. Often it won't. Right? You don't always want to give a five-star rating to family life. Has it kept you fulfilled? Has it met your emotional needs? A lot of the time, no. So if I go into family with the vision of the world, including family, is there to meet my individual consumer needs... Man, no wonder we get anxious about it. No wonder we get disappointed. No wonder we get a negative view of it. But if we start with this cosmic vision, something that demonstrates to the world the ways of God, God's image bearers doing life as God, in God God's wonderful plan, God's noble purpose for humankind, we start to dream a bit. We start to get passionate. We start to think, I want to fight for family. I want to pray for family. I want to believe for family and get stirred about it. A friend of mine, Years ago, I asked him, how did you raise your kids? He's a generation above me. And I, I watched the way his children had grown up. I thought, I wonder what I can learn from your example. I said, how did you do this? And he said there was a crisis point when his oldest son uh, misbehaved in a, in a you know, classic ch- childish way. I think stole something and lied about it. And he was quite concerned. He thought, ah, he's, he's, this isn't good. I, I need to address this. So he, he started, I mean, he spoke to his son and dealt with him, but he also prayed, and he started to pray quite fiercely, quite aggressively, regularly. He prayed and fasted once a week for his sons. And he said the thing that stirred him up to make him want to do it was Psalm 127, verse 4, which says this. He said he was reading, he was reading the Psalms and he was praying, and it kind of landed on him. It says... Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. That, that comes jumping out from a different world, doesn't it, that verse? That's like a different universe speaking to us in the 21st century. Hello? Imagine, imagine if you saw parenthood like that. Imagine if you saw family like that, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. I, I want to be a warrior. I want, I want to raise my kids for war. I want, to, I want them to, to do greater things than me. I want to be ambitious for the hope and the future and the destiny of my family. So he prayed. And he and his wife, they prayed. They, they committed to it weekly. 
And if you knew which family I was talking about, I think you'd agree their prayers have been answered. This is just one example, but I want to urge you to bear vision in mind for family. Don't just see it as a context for either I'm feeling anxious personally or I'm not. No, I think actually what we need to do is break out of a, just an individualistic perspective, get vision for it, and then we may find that our anxieties begin to unwind a little bit because there's more on the table than just our personal needs being met. Not that that isn't important, we'll get to it. And the second point actually will help us there. Let me just get into secondly as well, the goal. And it, it's, it's not that I can say everything about the goal of, mar- of family in this, in this sermon. There's, there's not time for that. But there's a key thing to note here that's right at the primal roots as God institutes it here in Genesis chapter 2. Just go to verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is important for so many reasons, but key thing here, the, 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 the end result is being described. So this first couple, this first human male-female covenant union instituted on planet Earth, the very first marriage, and God is saying what's going to happen He's saying, what's going to happen is, is you're going to raise kids who are going to start other marriages. And they're going to raise kids who are going to start other marriages. And for the sake of that, it will be necessary for something called leaving and cleaving. There, there's going to be decisive change. So that what I'm saying at the start of all human history is I don't want this family to primarily exist for itself. But I, I, I want you to have at the very beginning an understanding, I raise this family for the sake of other things. So one day I need to be ready to release this. One day I need to set it free. One day I, I need to be able to allow the children I raise even to not need me anymore. Did you hear that? To not need me anymore. And perhaps for, if we're honest, for many of us, that fills us with horror. But what the Bible's describing is us being able to celebrate that moment. To cheer them on to the point, yeah, you, 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 you go, you leave, you cleave, you start again. Why is this important? I think a lot of family anxiety happens when members of families don't, abide by this principle, this dynamic. We, we actually can't, we feel, we can't make the shift emotionally from needing to be needed. And our love for our family turns into something a little bit distorted. Our love for our family becomes a rather selfish love. And the, the, the danger of this kind of love is that it can be deceiving. We can so love our family and so sacrifice for our family and I'm the one that loves this family. I'm holding this family together and no one appreciates how much I love this family. And if we stop and investigate our our sentiments, we might realize, hold on, this doesn't sound like self-giving love. It sounds like self-gratifying love. I'm kind of the needy one here. And I, I can't bear the thought of not being needed I can't bear the thought of my family, my children, whoever, the ones that I'm loving and raising, not needing me. 
my identity is so brought into this that I am actually kind of bound up, not free. And there may come a time for us where we need to actually understand what Jesus meant in his savage teaching, which it really is, if you're honest, where he said, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father and mother. What a strange thing for Jesus to say. Has he never read the Ten Commandments? Honour your father and mother. Obey. Have you not read the Bible, Jesus? Jesus wrote the Bible. Jesus is the Bible. Jesus knows the Ten Commandments. He gets it. But he's saying something that we, we so easily miss. Until we are prepared to put Jesus and his kingdom at the center of everything, every relationship, every love, even our love for our family, then those loves always threaten to become idols that control us and we controlled by them and we control others by them without maybe even realizing it. We might think we're being heroes. I just love my family so much. I love them, I love them, I love the kingdom of God, Jesus. Just it doesn't matter. I love my family. What you're doing is hurting your family in the long run. You might be hurting yourself in the long run. And you need to get to the point where you realize, no, I've got to trust Jesus. I've got to put Jesus, I've got to try. And eventually that will mean I'll have a slightly more releasing, maybe a more gentle, more loving approach, which generates slightly less anxiety in a family. Stop and consider for yourself for a moment. When it comes to anxiety in your family, is it possible that you're generating more anxiety in your family than you realize? Could you be generating anxiety without even knowing it? Because the, the relationships are based on you having your emotional needs met. You, parents will do this. I know this from my own embarrassing experience. Just the verses like, honor your father and mother, become my <laughs> weapons, <laughs> my ammunition. Oh, I'm not getting honoured. You're not honouring me? Right, let's just quote some Bible verses at you. That's what I'm tempted to do sometimes. Shame to say. I start seizing those verses for my own emotional security, to make myself feel important in my house. That's not what they're for, those verses, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Parents, family members need to be able need to learn by the grace of God to find peace, to find rest, in the welcoming love of Jesus. To know that I belong to him. In spite of all my shame and selfishness, in spite of everything. I'm so loved. I'm treated with such mercy. I'm so forgiven. That I'm, I'm actually enabled to come into family life and family decisions with a different attitude. Instead of fighting for my respect and my place and my importance in this family, I come in with an attitude of, I want to love and serve this family, even when it doesn't get recognized. Even when no one says thank you. And family life can be a bit thankless, can't it? But learning to hear your big, well done, good and faithful servant from him will release you. Release you, help you to change your, change your perspective. It could actually affect the level of anxiety in the family enormously. And some of us actually do need to repent. God, forgive me. I've treated my family as though they owe me, that I'm entitled to something. I want to learn to come in with a gracious attitude. And some of us maybe even need to touch on this with 
with parents or touch on it with, with loved ones and say, can we talk? I think our relationship has been wrong here. Maybe it's a, a, a moment in your life where you might even need to say, maybe in some way you need to communicate. There's been something seriously dysfunctional in our family life because it hasn't, it hasn't been as it should be. If it's meant to communicate something of the, the giving, the self-giving love of God, the fatherhood of God, too often it hasn't done anything. Like Too often it's been the opposite. But be very careful. Let me say this before I get on to my final point. Be very careful. If ever you think <laughs> that you have a, a responsibility to sit your parents down and, and try and sh- share their shortcomings with them, be so careful that you start with yours. You may never need to. I hope you never do. But if there ever comes a point you think, I need to actually talk this through, start with yours. Be humble. The worst thing many of us can do, and, and do do, is we, we, we imagine that we're going to get somewhere by starting a kind of antagonistic, accusatory kind of conversation. It's disastrous. It's not even wise, let alone loving. To come in humbly and say, look, this is where I know I've got it wrong. Can we talk? It may be that there are some chats that need to happen. And if you do, I ask you to talk it through, pray it through with friends in the church as well so that you're not running into something uh, foolishly or in, a, in an isolated way. Last point, the taproot. Where, is the, where is the resources from this? And I've only got a moment on this, but I want to really help us back home here because the reality is all that I'm doing if I'm not careful today is actually loading on the anxiety. You need to have a vision. You know, I know a friend who prayed and fasted every week. When did you last do that? And, and, and also, go and you know, be more humble in your household and, and, and remember it's your fault. God bless you. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Good news is, is really good news. The good news is way better than that. See, this whole session, this whole series has been about anxiety, right? And, and we've talked about how Jesus, the great physician, he comes to us in Matthew chapter 11. Remember how we started this, if you were with us back in September. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. That is still the arrangement, friends. That's still the, the, the foundation for all of our hopes, for, for our own lives and for our families. Yeah? Jesus comes to us saying, come to me. He, say, he speaks to you today through me. Hear me, please. This is the word of God to you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. He's gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For the yoke I give to you is easy, and the burden I give is light. We can still, we can still hold that right in place at the end of this series. That's still the foundation stone of a free family. Because we desperately need 
the grace of Jesus. We need the spirit, the knowledge of Jesus. We need to fear Jesus. That's one way of putting it. That's even how Paul puts it. When he talks about family life in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts describing family relationships. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Literally, fear of Christ. How can you be afraid of someone who says, I'm gentle and humble. <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary, but I'll give you rest. Doesn't sound very frightening. Oh, he is so good, it is frightening. Have you thought of it like that? He's so gracious. He's so true. He's so faithful. <laughs> it's, it's awe-inspiring. And to, to know Jesus, to know, to know whatever your family situation, however... You might feel, I've blown it. Oh, I've got some conversations to have. Oh, I'm really not a good mum, good dad. I'm not a good son. I've not. So know at the outset, friends, that there's someone who's inviting you to release the burden of it to him. So I'm, I'm willing to take this off you. Let me take your burden. Let me take the yoke. Let me take the pressure. Let me give you my burden. Let me send you into your family in a different, different, in a different mode. Let me deal with the sin, just as he did at the cross. There's even something in this passage about that. You might not notice it. It's a weird thing to, to reflect on, but it's right there. It says that God put the man to a sleep, a deep sleep. It's a strong word in the Hebrew, a deep, deathly sleep. And out from his side came life. Even right here at this first stage of the Bible, it's talking about Jesus. Jesus who was put down to death for us and out from his side, they pierced his side, out came blood and water, Jesus giving life to people like you and me that don't deserve it. The first family was built on the sacrificial, life-giving, deathly sleep of the first Adam. This, this new family of God that we're invited into is, is built on. It comes from the root of it, the life, the source of it is from this, this second Adam who was put down in the tomb, who was put down to death, who was put down to sleep and out from him flows life. We come to Jesus through faith, through the table, through the bread and the wine. We come to the one who's offered his body and his blood so that we can have forgiveness and hope for our own salvation Forgiveness for the past, hope for the future, and hope for relationships that look so twisted that you can't imagine them ever being unraveled. You can't imagine them being unwound. But we forget, we forget who's involved in our lives if, we've, if we have Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, you, be, you truly belong to a new family. For the many here who say, yeah, well, this sermon is so hard because I don't even have that as part. As I don't have family. I'm so out of family for whatever reason. I tell you, I tell you the, the Bible truth that your union with Christ, if you belong to him, is a vital union. It's a real union. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's real. You belong to this new family maker. And, and you can know genuine 
belonging and place and contentment in, in fellowship with him and with his people. That's what we need to keep building, his family. Well, let's, let's pray right now before we come to the table and celebrate this. What I want to remind each one of you to do as we prepare to take communion, as we come to the end of this series, as we bring to him our lives, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I, I, I am going to be just a, a walking anxiety machine without your grace. So I, I want to I just receive again the grace and the love of Jesus. I come with my pride, with my sin. I come with my selfishness. I say, Jesus, heal me, forgive me, raise me up, help me to have hope, help me to know what steps to take. And you can do that. If you know Jesus, you're welcome to do that. If you're, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you've just got very big questions about Jesus, you're not sure, we want to help you. We've got ways to do that. One way to do it is actually just go on, on, online on the website and, and tick box saying, I, I, you know, I've prayed to become a Christian today, or at least to connect with us. We'd love to help you. Or you could come to the, the next step uh, bar as well or just talk to me or talk to one of us leaders here we'd love to serve you let's stand together and let's respond in worship come to the table as soon as you're ready